0: Let me ask you a question this morning. What do holy people look like? What do holy people look like? Who, who do you know? Who do you know that's holy? Now think about that just for a second. Who do you know that's holy? And let me ask this question. Is it you? Are you holy? Are you a holy person? We tend to think of holy people as those who... Wear robes and who live at church and who are out of touch with reality, who never smile, who always pray. And in fact, we picture that from time to time uh, with our monks right here at Ridgecrest. I don't want you to see a picture on the screen there? Those are some holy people right there, right? <laughs> but when we think of holy people, we kind of think of people like this that are different than us because we're not like that, but they're holy. But the reality is that holy people are simply those who follow Jesus. People that look just like us, like this picture that's a little bit different. People who look just like us are holy people. They are set apart from the purposes of self and others and set apart for the glory and the purpose of of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In in reality, holy people are those who have been rescued from sin, they've been delivered into eternal life, and while still on this earth, they're simply seeking to live out their faith. So if you fall into that category, you've been rescued from your sin by faith in Jesus, you've been delivered into eternal life, and you are seeking to live out your faith on this earth, then you qualify as a holy person. Does that make you smile at all to think about being a holy person? Christians are called to express our hope. Remember, we're talking about hope in this series of messages. The hope that we have in Jesus, the hope that we have through Jesus, and a hope that impacts us in every area of life. And because we have hope, we're now called to be Holy. Holy people go to the same schools that we go to. Holy people live in the same neighborhoods that we live in. Holy people pull for the same ball teams that we pull for. A holy person may even pull for a different ball team than you pull for, as hard as that may seem to believe. Holy people drive the same kinds of cars as everybody else holy people struggle with the same struggles of health and wealth and finances and relationships as everybody else. But the only difference between everybody else and holy people is that because of Jesus, holy people know that we have a great hope. And we read about that hope in the book of 1 Peter. I'd ask you to turn there with me this morning. Why should I seek to live a holy life? Because we both know, you and I, that if we're seeking to live a holy life, we're going to stand out from other people. And it may cost us something of our time. It may cost us something of our treasure. It may cost us something of our talents. It may cost us more than we might want to give if we're going to live a holy life. So why should I do that? And the answer is simply because my hope is in Jesus. Well, you may be sitting there this morning like I have wondered many times in my life, If I'm called to be holy, let's just get practical. How can I be holy? How can I live a holy life? We're talking about that this morning in the first chapter of 1 Peter. Let me invite you to stand with me this morning. The first chapter of 1 Peter, we're working our way through the letter of Peter to believers. And as we're talking about this letter and we're talking about hope, today we're going to recognize that because of our hope in Christ and the hope that He gives us, because of that, we are called to live a holy life, and we can live a holy life. I want you to repeat after me, I... I, I caught you off guard, didn't I? <laughs> repeat after me, I, I can, can live, live a, a holy life." life. It? You with me now, right? It? is possible okay in first peter chapter one starting in verse 13 we're going to cover through verse 25 this morning but i want to read just through verse 16 here therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of jesus christ as obedient children Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, so also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, you call us to separate ourselves from the ways of this world and to separate ourselves unto the ways of God. And you call us to do that, Lord, because of your own holiness, because you yourself are set apart from things of the world. You're set apart from things of creation. You're set high and above all those things for your own purposes. And so remind us this morning that because we belong to you, because we have hope, we also are called to be set apart from the world and set apart to and for the glory of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, please be seated. So how can I be holy? It, it's, a, it, it's, it's a list of things that we're about to go through, but I want you to understand it's not just to check the box here and carry out these outward actions. That's where we would get in trouble The way that we become holy is because of our outward actions based on our inward hope in Jesus. So if we have that inward hope, it just spill over into outward actions. So let's talk about these five steps towards holiness for believers. You see, there there are those that try to act religious, but they don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and you try to take these steps of holiness to become religious, it will leave you frustrated and it will leave you empty and it will leave you recognizing that you just don't measure up because it is only through our hope in Jesus that we do measure up. And out of that hope, we can follow these five steps. Don't you notice, first of all, the first step I'd point out to you is to pursue holiness. If we're going to be holy, we have to pursue holiness. It's not something that automatically happens. And, and, and one of the questions I have, Al says that there's some verses that make us smile, and there's several that we could talk about, and, and absolutely that's true. But there are some things that frustrate me about the Christian life. And here's one of those. If it were up to me, and that's a dangerous thing to say, if it were up to me, holiness would come automatically at salvation. And we would not have a choice in the matter. Our choice is to trust Jesus, and then automatically we become holy, and we walk around for the rest of our life holy, pure, spotless, sinless, redeemed, all these things, and we don't have to worry about sin from that one. Wouldn't that be wonderful? But God didn't do it that way. And God's ways are higher and better than my ways. So understand that. So, so there's something about the call to holiness that indicates it is something that is not automatic at salvation. What is automatic at salvation is that we're saved from now through all eternity. We know that. But this call to holiness is not automatic, but it is possible that you and I can begin to pursue and take steps of holiness. Let me mention several things about about pursuing holiness. One is is in verse 13. I want you to notice that holiness is mental. There's a mental aspect to holiness. You've got to think about it. You've got to determine in your mind, I'm going to live holy. Say that with me. I'm going to live holy. We have to have that in our mind before it ever works out in our lives. Notice in verse number 13, prepare or preparing your minds for action. The action follows the mental, which is a preparation, which means we've got to put some thought effort and some heart effort into holiness before we ever get there. It's kind of like taking a test and an exam. Every single day, you and I face tests of our faith. When we go into our jobs, we might face a test of faith with a coworker. When we go to school, we may, test, we may face a test of temptation uh, in some form or fashion. When we're in our homes, we may face some trial or struggle because of our faith. And if we're going to live up and be holy in those moments when those testings and trials come, we've got to back up and prepare in advance like preparing for an exam. And so we have to determine right up front in my mind, I'm going to be holy. How do we do that as believers? We prepare by scripture reading. We prepare by devotional reading. We prepare by being involved in our church through a Sunday School Connect group, by being involved in a worship service, by by being involved in service and ministry somehow in some way, by giving, by going on disaster relief projects. There's a thousand ways, but we, we take these steps and it begins mentally. I'm determining, I'm going to determine in my mind to live a holy life, and that preparation leads me to be ready when those times come. But also concerning this mental preparation, it it says in verse 13, Be sober-minded. Let your mind be clear and not cloudy. We we all understand what it's like to be physically uh, 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 inebriated in some form or fashion. Sober means you're you're clear-minded. To be inebriated, it means that, that something has compromised your mental capacities, For some, it's alcohol. For some, it's some sort of a drug, whether it's illegal or even prescription drugs. I I love those when I get a prescription from time to time, and it says on the prescription, do not operate heavy machinery or drive while you're taking this medicine. Anybody ever had one of those? Okay. I've seen some of you driving. I hope you're not doing that while you're (laughs) taking that medication. Now, why does does the, the doctor say, don't drive your car when you're taking this medication? Because that medication clouds your mind. It clouds your sensibilities. It 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 impairs you physically, even though it's a good medication, and in the long run, it's going to help you. In the meantime, it's going to cloud your mind. And so in a spiritual sense now, the word is telling us, be sober-minded. Don't let things of this world cloud your mind. And get you thinking in ways that prevent you from acting in the ways that God would have you to act. There's lots of things we could say here, but I'm going to move on. Because holiness is not only mental, it's also spiritual. Why don't you notice verse 13? Holiness is spiritual. Set your hope fully on Jesus. Set your hope fully on Jesus on Jesus. There's no other place that we should set our hope. There's no other thing that we can or should believe in. Everything else falls by the wayside and is idolatry except for our hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Hope is an expectation even though we don't see it. That's what hope is. It's an expectation of what's going to happen or what is a reality even if we don't see it. Last week, when when I was beginning here, I mentioned verse number 8 here in First Peter chapter 1 where it says, Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. There is a confidence inwardly that impacts me outwardly because of my hope in Jesus Christ. And so, so I need to be sober-minded. I need to be, uh, recognize that, that my hope is also spiritual. And then uh, notice my, that holiness is moral. It's mental, it's spiritual, and now it's also moral. And, uh, uh, you know, some people just don't know any better than to act the way they act. You ever been around people like that? You have to tell, they just don't know any better. They were raised on that side of town. They take after their daddy's side of the family. They just don't know any better. In fact, I I would say it this way, based on verse number 14, that ignorance of the truth leads to immorality. I just felt impressed to to say say it that way. Ignorance of the truth leads to immorality. That, That whole phrase, if it feels good, do it. You've heard that before, right? If it feels good, do it. Do you know how many people have gotten in trouble with that mentality that says, if it feels good, do it? Do you know what people's natural mentality is? If it feels good, do it. They don't know any different. They don't know any better until somebody tells them. Notice in verse 14, it says, As obedient children do not be conformed to the passions, the if-it-feels-good-do-it passion, of your former ignorance. In other words, before you became a Christian, you didn't know any better. Before you came to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, your mentality was, if it feels good, do it, or or whatever you want to do in the moment, or or, or pursue whatever you want to pursue... We just didn't know any better. But now, as a believer and a follower of Christ, we know better. Now, as a follower of Christ, we have been informed. You know, there's ignorance, and you can't fault people for ignorance unless there's knowledge available. The answer to ignorance is knowledge. If you don't know, you don't know. But if you don't know and you can know, that's called knowledge. Notice uh, what what it says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Renewing your mind, taking knowledge outwardly, putting it into your mind, the knowledge of God through His Word, the Bible. And the knowledge of God through the Bible into our minds will renew our minds to give us knowledge to overcome ignorance, and ignorance can lead us into immorality. Also, I'd say it this way. Some simply act like they grow up and act like the home that they were raised in. You ever seen people like that? He acts just like his daddy. She is just like her mama. You ever heard people say that? You ever felt that about yourself? And do you know why people say that? Because it's true. And do you know why it's true? Because when we grow up in our homes, the most natural way for us to act is like our parents, to talk like our parents, to have attitudes like our parents. To, to, to have emotional uh, makeup like our parents, all that is, is completely natural. But, but notice in verse 18 what he says about morality here. Verse 18 refers to the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. In other words, your parents and grandparents and great grandparents passed down to you ungodliness. Now, Peter here is writing to, to first century Christians. And their parents and grandparents, there was not, there was not the gospel there. And so, so whatever religious things they were following, whatever moral things they were following, they just passed them on to their children and to their children. And so, so it came down to now the gospel is presented and, and Peter's writing and saying, listen, your parents and your grandparents, your forefathers, they taught you these things that were immoral but you must not follow them anymore. Those ways are futile. They're, they're meaningless. They're, they're worthless. They will not do you any benefit whatsoever. Holiness is moral, and it should impact all of our moral standing. It should impact how we treat the opposite sex. It should impact how we treat uh, people that we don't know. It should impact how we treat those that are less fortunate than us. It should impact how we treat our neighbors and, and, and those who live across the street or across town or across the ocean. It should impact how we handle our finances. It should impact how we do our taxes. It should ha- ha- impact every area of our morality. I want you to notice also that holiness is distinguishable. You can tell it apart from other things. If a person is living a holy life, it is distinguishable from any other kind of life that is out there. Notice in verse 15. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. In verses 15 and 16, four times it mentions the word holy. The word holy meaning set apart for the purposes and the glory of God. And we're told here that we are to be holy, and our standard is God's holiness. Now, God is certainly holy. Amen? Amen. We sang about that earlier Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. We sang that beautiful, great hymn of the faith. And, and as we sang that, I was reminded of the words of Isaiah chapter 6. And verse number 3, where the angels in heaven are surrounding the throne of God, and they're calling one to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Somebody say amen to that, because that's who God is. He is holy and set apart for His glory and for His purposes. And the angels, can you just imagine that picture, the angels in heaven? I love to read Isaiah chapter 6, that whole scene there in heaven where there's smoke that filled the temple, where there's this thundering voice of the angels, and where it raised and shook the whole place, and the voice of God went out, And, and it was just a beautiful picture of worship. But at the core and at the center of it is, in fact, the holiness of God. We read about that in the Old Testament in Isaiah, but we also read about it in the New Testament In the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 4, in verse 6, we find again the scene is heaven, and the angels are gathered around, and the angels say this to God about God in in Revelation 4 6. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Our God is eternal. That's who he is. And in heaven, the angels surrounding the throne uh, share that and shout it and sing it and praise the Lord forever and ever and ever. And because God is holy, He calls us to be holy as His followers, set apart for His purposes and set apart for His glory. And so holiness ought to permeate every area of our life. The mistake a lot of Christians make, and it's natural because it was passed on to us from our parents, right? (laughs) is that we tend to compartmentalize our Christianity. When we go to church, we act like Christians. When we go to work, we act like everybody else at work. When we're hanging out with the guys, we act like all the other guys that we're hanging out with. When we're out with the girls, we do, we do what the girls are. When, when, we're, when we're in this situation, we act this way. When we're in that situation, we act that way. But listen, the call of God upon our lives, your life and my life, is that as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are called because of God's holiness, that we might be holy in every area of our life. Not stereotypically holy like the monks, but biblically holy like real people who have been rescued from sin and are simply seeking to live out their life in Christ. So the first step we can take is to pursue holiness. Now, secondly, I want you to notice, if we're going, to be, uh, if we're going to, to, to be holy, we need to pray personally. We need to pray personally. Notice in verse 17, it speaks about that, that we call on Him. We call on God. We, we recognize that, that if we're going to do this holiness thing, if I'm going to be a holy person, and if you're going to be a holy person, uh, I, I want you to, 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 to recognize this. I need some help. Amen. If Pastor Mark's going to be holy, Pastor Mark needs some help outside of Pastor Mark. Amen? Amen. Amen. <laughs> and the same is true for you. And the good news is God offers that help. He gives us of His Spirit, but He also gives us the avenue of prayer. And verse 17 speaks about calling on Him in this area of seeking to live a holy life. Now a couple of weeks ago, I made available uh, a little form, a little, little handout. I've got one in my hand. It's called Prayer Practice 2018. I didn't have time to really go into it a couple of weeks ago. Many of you have taken them already, or else you've taken them and thrown them away. I don't know what you've done. I'm going to assume you've taken them to study. Amen. All right. There's still some out in the breezeway if you want to get one on your way out. But but what one of the things that Christians often say is about prayer I don't know how to pray, and I'm awkward in my prayers. And so as a result of that, I've put together in this one little, one little handout here some prayer resources to kind of help jumpstart the prayer life of any Christian that wants to pray. There's a compilation of three resources in this handout. One is a book. I love a book called How to Develop a Powerful Prayer Life by Gregory Frizzell. And inside of here, i list uh, a, 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 a sample pattern for powerful daily prayer that Gregory Frizzell puts out. And it's biblically based. And very quickly, it's this. Begin with prayer and thanksgiving. Then confession and repentance. Prayers of personal petition. Prayers of intercession. And a time of meditation on God's Word. Something very basic, very simple. You've heard it before. There's other information in here. But that will help you. If you're awkward in your prayers and would like to better strengthen your prayer life. There's also a resource in here from five things to pray for your church. You may remember a year or so ago, I passed out these books called five things to pray for your church. And there's still some out in the breezeway if you'd like to pick one up, if you did not get one. And it's a series of five things to pray for your church based on scripture. It will again will help you in your prayer life, in your prayer walk. And out of that, I put together on the back side here is, is one section Pray that the church would make known God's glory. And I just put a little outline on there from the book. Then there's another, there's another section I put in here from one of my favorite resources, and that is uh, uh, the Valley of Vision, These pra- a collection of written prayers from the Puritans back in the 1600s. Beautiful prayers, a whole book full of these prayers. And and I use these and and they have helped to strengthen my life and my walk with the Lord and my season and time of prayer. And so I reprinted, I edited the language just a little bit and reprinted one of those inside this little resource and it's called The Life Look in, in, in the Valley of Vision. I want to read for you just the first part of it and make a comment. It says in here, Oh God, I bless you for the happy moment when I first saw Your law fulfilled in Christ, your wrath appeased, death destroyed, sin forgiven, my soul saved. Ever since you have been faithful to me, daily have I proved the power of Jesus' blood. Daily have I made known the strength of your spirit, my teacher, director, and sanctifier. I want no other rock to build upon than what I have in Jesus. I desire no other hope than the gospel of truth. I need no other look than that which gazes on the cross. And it goes on and on. And then the beautiful thing about these prayers is that these were not just haphazard prayers that they just wrote down in 30 seconds. These are a series of prayers that people put a lot of time and effort and craft and heart and Bible study into And they crafted these prayers to express to God the attitude of their heart, the gratitude in their heart, the passion in their soul. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful resource. If you have not gotten one already, stop by the breezeway and pick one of these up to help in your prayer life. Because if we're going to be holy, we need something outside of ourselves. And prayer is the avenue to get there. The third uh, step towards holiness, I would mention, is to live carefully. To live carefully. Be mindful of of how you live your life. Verses 17 and 19 say this, Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you are are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Why should I be careful? Why should I be fearful about how I live? In the Vines Bible Dictionary, it says this about the word fear. It says, this kind of fear is not a mere fear of his power and righteous retribution, but it is a wholesome dread of displeasing him that influences the disposition and attitude of one whose circumstances are guided by trust in God through the indwelling Spirit of God. The point is this. When the Bible speaks of fearing God, certainly there is a, There is a fear of being afraid of being caught in our sins and given an account to God and not being saved. Absolutely, we should be afraid. But this other aspect of fear in the Greek language it comes out here is not that I'm afraid of God, but that I'm afraid of disappointing God. Because of all that He's done for me, because of what Jesus has done in my life, I don't want to disappoint Him. And so because I don't want to disappoint Him, I'm going to be careful how I live. I'm going to be careful how I talk. I'm going to be careful what I put on Facebook. I'm going to be careful how I talk in my job. I'm going to be careful when it's just me and the guys hanging out. I'm going to be careful how I, how I use my words. I'm going to be careful where I go. I want to be careful how I treat my family. I am going to be careful how I spend my money. I just want to be careful because I don't want to disappoint God. Notice also that that, that same passage mentions that we were ransomed. A price was paid for our freedom. We were ransomed. That word ransom uh, goes to to, to state the premise that that we have been bought and we have been paid for, but not with earthly riches. No amount of gold could ever purchase our soul. We've been bought with the precious blood of Jesus. That's why we ought to be careful how we live. Because we need to remember that Jesus poured out His blood, that you and I might be saved from our sins. And then it's pictured here as, as a lamb, the sacrificial lamb there in the Jewish temple that was sacrificed every morning and every evening to remind the people that sin brings death, but God provides a substitute. And we celebrate the same thing as Christians. When we're baptized, we celebrate that a price was paid for us on the cross. That was the death of Jesus, the burial, and the resurrection. Praise the Lord for that. And every time we have the Lord's Supper, which we just recently did, every time we have the Lord's Supper, we're reminded that Jesus' body was broken on the cross for us, that his blood was spilled on the cross for us. And so we're reminded that a great price was paid for us. Therefore, we should live carefully. Then verses 20 to 22 gives us a a fourth step of living a holy life, and that is to live in perspective. Remember what Jesus has done for you. And in these verses, he's just continuing to repeat again what Christ has done for us, how how he came into uh, the world. It says in verse 20, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but made manifest in the last time for your sake. For your sake, God brought Christ into the world uh, 2,000 years ago, but Jesus has existed for eternity before the world was ever created. Jesus was there and he brought him into the world at just the right time for us. Verse 21, Through him you are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. We need to be reminded when the bills come due and money's tight. We need to be reminded when the doctor comes in with a report we just don't want to hear. We need to be reminded when there's rebellion from a child in our family. We need to be reminded when the culture seems to be turning its back on God and walking away and even running. We need to be reminded and to live our lives in perspective of the cross, of the resurrection, and of the glory of Jesus. And so we're okay regardless of what happens in this world. Live life in perspective. And one last step that, that, uh, that we see here is in verses 22 to 25. And that is, if we're going to be holy We're called to love one another. Somebody say amen to that. We're called to love one another. It's a love that on one hand is passionate and pure. The love that we're called to have. Verse 22 says, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Love each other, not just with lip service, not just when you're on good terms with each other. Love each other earnestly, passionately, and with a pure heart. That's how we're called to love each other. It's also a love that is transformational. It changes us. It's not a love that just anybody can have. We're called to love one another as believers and followers of Christ. Not we just love like everybody in the world has. It's easy to love people when they're nice to you, and we don't love people when they're not nice to us. We, we get that. But this love that is transformational is a love that was given to us when we were not worthy of that love and that we're now called to give to others. Verse 23 says, Since you have been born again. See, because we've been born again, that's how radical the change it has been in our life. It is not just turning over a new leaf, it's not just starting over from zero. It is literally being born again. That's what motivates us and empowers us to love others. And then notice, this is also a love that is timely. Don't wait to show love, do it now and do it rightly. It says there uh, uh, that, that life is short. Verse 24, all flesh is like grass and its glory like the flower. It withers and the flower fails. God is eternal. Remember that. The word of the Lord, it says, remains forever. So love now, love, e- pa- love passionately because God is eternal. And it's also love that is shared. Verse 25, and this word of the good news is what was preached to you. You heard the the message of Christ. You heard about the death, burial, and resurrection. You heard that that happened because of the love of God for you. And all of that occurred so, so that you might know and so that you might share. You're here today because somebody shared the love of God with you. I'm here because somebody shared the love of God with me. And and whether we approach somebody and speak to them uh, or or give them an invitation to come to church with us or an invitation to study the Bible together, whatever it might be, grab one of those green cards that you saw uh, on on the big three announcement today and, uh, and, and go home even this afternoon and use that card to invite somebody to come to church with you. Don't wait, but demonstrate and show love. In 1971, in Saskatoon, Canada a revival broke out of all places, Saskatoon, Canada. Al, you ever heard of the Saskatoon revival from 1971? You missed that? I hadn't heard about it either. We're studying that and other things on Wednesday nights in our Engage group where we're, we're studying the, 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 the prayer uh, prompt and prayer focus for the month of October, Who is My Neighbor? Well, in 1971, a revival broke out in Saskatoon, Canada that was characterized by holiness, a call to holiness. And several of the things that characterized this revival, one was a conviction of personal sin. People became aware. God's Spirit began to move, and people began to be aware and convicted of the sin in their own life. And secondly, church members began to confess their sin to God, and then surprisingly, the pastor stated at the time, surprisingly they began to confess their sins against one another even though they had been in church together, even though they had loved one another, even though they didn't know about what one person had against another person because they were keeping it inside. But as God's Spirit began to move, people began to confess their sins to one another and against one another, and then that led to a genuine love for each other breaking out there in that church. Jesus said in John 13, 35, By this will all people know, by this will all men know that you're my disciples, if you do what? If you love one another. And love broke out in that church and revival began to spread. I'd encourage you, don't be like this church member when the pastor challenged the members and said, hey, it is time for you to get right with God and get right with one another. And one church member said, well, it's time for me then to get a new church. Don't be like that church member. It's time for us to get right with God and to get right with one another. That holiness Might break out among us, that God's love might permeate all that we do, that revival might come, and that a move of God like no other could take place, so that people on the outside point to those of us on the inside and they say, There must be a God, because only God could do something like that. That's what I'm praying for for Ridgecrest Baptist Church. I hope you'll join me in that. In fact, right now, would you just bow your head and close your eyes? I want to ask you, as we've talked about holiness today, How would you rate your own holiness? How would you do that? I'm not going to ask you to let me know or anybody else, but how would you rate your own holiness in your relationship to God? How would you rate your holiness in how you live out your faith? What impact does it have? Would you be reminded this morning that sin in our lives hinders our walk with God? it gets in the way faster and deeper and stronger than anything else. If there's sin in your life, sin in my life, it gets in the way of my walk with God and my pursuit of holiness. The sin also hinders my witness to other people and yours too. If we're living openly in sin and we're not following the things of God, we're in no position to tell others or to show others about the wonderful things God has done in our life. Our Heavenly Father, this morning I pray that because of all that You've done for us in Jesus, that You would lead us to pursue holiness, to pray for holiness, to live a life careful that we don't disappoint You who've done so much for us, that we might live a life in perspective, knowing that in all things in this life on earth, we should live thinking and knowing of all that Jesus has done for us. And I pray, Lord, we love one another. Lord, help us to to, to experience a conviction of sin that would lead us to get right with You. And Lord, also lead us to experience a conviction of love that we might get right with one another. Even, Even among this church, with all the love and the fellowship that we have, Lord, there are those that need to get right with one another. And I pray that even out of this today, that could take place. Help us, I pray, our Heavenly Father, to experience holiness towards You and towards others. Teach us, I pray with your word. Empower us, my Heavenly Father, by your Spirit. Encourage us through this church that we might pursue holiness in all that we do. Lord Jesus, thank you for the privilege of standing before people and sharing the wonderful good news of faith in Jesus Christ. And as you've spoken to our hearts even now, may we not leave it here, but may we act in faith and obedience to become the people that you've called us to be As we pray in Jesus' name, amen.